You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Dear Church, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. December 7th, 1941. And this is the day that many of you know that 353 Japanese airplanes began to swarm Pearl Harbor, sinking eight of our ships, destroying six airfields, and destroying basically all of our airplanes, killing 2,400 soldiers. And one of the sad parts about Pearl Harbor is it actually could have been prevented or there could have been a lot less lives lost on this day. Because if about 15 minutes before this attack, and they, these planes were actually picked up on radar. And there were some young servicemen that began to see this and they turned to their lieutenant who was in charge that day, it was a Sunday, and the lieutenant looks and he says, ah, they must be airplanes from California. Don't worry about it. Well, we know that he should have worried about it. And if he would have, he could have sent some planes up to start battling the Japanese. And he could have warned Pearl Harbor and uh, things could have been drastically different. I wonder if we're not the same way, if we don't have the same attitude from time to time. Well, we have some sin in our life and we say, well, we don't need to worry about it. Or I can have Jesus and this, and, and Jesus doesn't really care. Or I'll get to this little area in my life that I need to work on a little bit later. And then we don't, and then we, our life becomes a mess, and we wonder how we got there. Could it, could it be that we got there because of compromise? A.W. Tozer said this, One compromise here and another there, and soon enough, the so-called Christian and the man of the world look the same. We've been in a series called Dear Church, and we've been talking about seven letters that God pinned to the seven churches of, in Revelation. We talked about Ephesus, the loveless church, and we talked about Smyrna, the persecuted church, and today uh, we're talking about Pergamum, the compromising church. Now, just a few details about Pergamum. It was a political city, a political center of Asia Minor, a capital city, kind of like the Washington, D.C. of Asia Minor. It was a well-fortified city on mountains. Uh, it was so fortified that Alexander the Great stored some of his money there. It, it was a city that had art. Uh, it was a, a city that developed parchment uh, from cattle skin. 
It actually held uh, or had the first psychiatric hospital. It had a theater there that housed about 10,000 people. Uh, the people were well-educated. Uh, they uh, they were uh, had a library there that had about 200,000 books. And, and let me just remind you that these books uh, were written by hand. It was the second uh, largest in the area behind Alexandria. It was a religious center. But when I say religious center, it had uh, it, it worshipped uh, several pagan gods, four pagan gods, Zeus being one of them, uh, Zeus being the uh, chief god of, uh, of the sky and chief of the other gods. And so you saw this huge temple and this huge shrine in that area. Uh, they also worshipped uh, a, the mythical god of healing, uh, also known as Savior. Now his name was hard to pronounce, uh, Asclepius. Uh, his symbol was the snake. And his temple would actually have uh, hospitals uh, that, that was part of it. And so you'd go in, you would offer incense, and, and you would offer, uh, you would basically worship this God and then they would give you free help. Uh, a lot of times they would uh, give you, uh, uh, tell you a diet to be on, exercise, give you some medical care. And then if you got healed uh, in some capacity, and then you would again worship this God and then your name would be written on this mar white marble uh, rock and people from all around the area would come and, and worship this God. They also were high in emperor worship. They actually created the first temple built to Caesar. And so what we see is it was a wealthy, uh, educated city, uh, but also one that was engaged in a lot of pagan practices, worshiping the emperor and worshiping other gods. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 12. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now, two-edged sword, Romans would carry this sword here, but Jesus describes himself as this. He describes him welding this power, that he has more power and authority than any government, uh, and, and he will bring justice to this area. I think there's echoes when you hear double-edged sword of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is active and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest of the two-edged sword. Cut in between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so we know that when, when God speaks, when his word speaks, that it actually convicts. It actually uh, does amazing things that can transform our life. And so that's how this letter begins. Let's continue reading verse 13. It says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Uh, how would you like to be known as the city, known as the city that Satan lives at? I mean, this, this is where he has his throne. We have the Alamo and uh, this city, this is where Satan lives. This is where he has his throne. It, it, it was a bad city. It says, Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. And so what uh, Jesus is saying is, I see you. I see you. I know things are tough. I know things are hard. I know uh, that, that you're living in a city that's filled with sin. 
that have all of this pagan worship that, and things are not easy for you. But you've remained faithful and, and I'm proud of you and good job. You've remained faithful even when you saw Antipas uh, that, was, that was killed for his faith. We know a little bit about Antipas. We know that tradition tells us that he was put, uh, roasted to death in a bronze bull. One of the ways that they persecuted Christians back then is they had this big bronze, bronze bull. And uh, you, they would open up at, at the bottom of it and put this person inside. And then they had coals underneath it, a fire. And then they actually put an opening at the mouth and at the nostrils so you could hear uh, the screams of pain as this as people were being persecuted. Well, Antipas supposedly went through this, uh, or this is the way supposedly that he was persecuted. And, and the church knew about this, and they continued to remain faithful. They continued to, to remain steadfast. And, and Jesus said, good job, way to remain faithful in this pagan, this evil, this demonic city. And, and, and he gives them a pat on the back. But then he says, but, but, and we're going to see a little correction coming. He says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating foods offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In the similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. And then in verse 16, he says, Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Remember that double-edged sword. So Balak was the king of Moab, and he decided to hire a prophet, Balaam, to curse the people of Israel. And every time that Balaam would try to curse the people of Israel, he ended up blessing them. And, and, and so finally he got tired of, of, of trying, to, trying to curse them and instead bless them. And, and he ended up giving up. Well, he didn't really give up. He said, you know what? I, I'm just not going to be able to curse God's people. Uh, and, and he still wanted money, so he came up with another idea. He said, how about if we get some of the Moabite women to seduce the Israelite men, and then we'll get them off of the path of God. We'll get them to, we'll get them to engage in sexual sin. We'll get them to eat uh, sacri or food sacrificed to idols. We'll get them to start falling away uh, from God. And so sure enough, this happened. God gets angry. He sends a plague and ends up killing 24,000 of the Israelites. And so I've told you this before, but if you want to understand John's writing, get to know your Old Testament. Well, you'll see this story actually in Numbers chapter 22 to 24. And so if you want to look at the, that story, you'll get a few more details. But what we see is that we see that Balaam was a false prophet. And Balaam's influence was so memorable that Peter even uses him as an example as a false teacher in 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2, verse 14, it says, They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse, and they have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money from doing wrong. Again, he was a prophet for hire. 
But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. So the doctrine of Balaam would have been compromise. And Pergamum uh, starts compromising. And he wants them to remember, hey, stop doing this. Remember what happened to Balaam. Remember that story. Remember how I punished them. You're compromising. You're tolerating stuff that you shouldn't tolerate. Now, you saw that the Nicolaitans were mentioned. Who were they? The Nicolaitans were followers of Nicholas who apparently taught that you could do whatever you wanted to uh, in Christ. And so once you were in Christ, you could do whatever you wanted to. It didn't matter. And so what you had is you had a hybrid teaching between Balaam and the Nicolaitans that led this church to having people who were compromising, tolerating stuff that they shouldn't have. They wanted to be called Christians. They wanted to look holy, but they were acting like Christians. And so Jesus sees this and he says, not so fast. He says, repent or I will fight you. I don't think I want to fight Jesus. I've been in some fights in my day, especially in my younger days. And so Jesus is like, hey, you keep on doing this. Guess what? We're going to meet in the, in the parking lot. We're going to take this outside. I, again, I wouldn't want to fight Jesus. Well, Jesus is, is not happy about this. He's like, man, you got to clean up your act. I'm going to fight you. This, that's how angry or how upset that he is when we compromise, when we tolerate stuff that we shouldn't. You know, compromise can be a good thing. Compromise can be a really good thing in our relationships. We need compromise in our marriage. We need compromise uh, when, with our friends and in our jobs and even in politics. Po compromise can be a really good thing, but when it comes to our spiritual life, it can be a really harmful thing. So how do I know that compromise might be creeping into my life? Well, when we say things like this, that's not a big deal. Uh, Jesus doesn't care. I, I deserve a little more. Uh, I'll work on that part of my life later. Everyone's doing it. If you have to hide it, lie about it, or justify it, chances are you probably have some compromise in your life. If you blame others instead of taking responsibility, compromise might be creeping into your life. If you get mad at others for doing certain things that you're doing, compromise might be creeping into your life. Sometimes as Christians, we, we, it's easy for us to point out the sin in other people's life, the compromise that's going on in their life, but we don't always like to look inside our hearts and realize we're doing some of the same things. Sometimes we hold non-Christians to a higher standard than we even hold ourselves to. And so, so sometimes when people have problems, they'll come and talk to, to me and, and they say, you know, I, I've made a mess out of my life. And, and I don't even know how I got here. And a lot of times we'll go back and we'll talk and, and we'll see that it was a series of small little compromises that they made. They, they let their guard down and, and they just had little compromises here and there. And then they're left with a big mess and they don't know what to do or where to turn. And, and so then we'll have that conversation and we'll talk about what it means to get uh, on the high road again. I want to leave you 
with three principles that will help you avoid compromise. First of all, I think it's important for us to be aware of what are we tolerating? What are you tolerating right now that God says you shouldn't? What are you tolerating right now that God says you shouldn't? Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's one drink too many. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's cheating on your taxes or cheating on a test. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's some other idol in your life. Maybe it's worry. What's something in your life that you're tolerating that you know that you shouldn't be? You, we, we need to identify that. Secondly, once you become aware of it, do something about it. Repent. So we want to identify what we're tolerating that we shouldn't, and then we want to repent. We want to change what we're doing. We need to do that U-turn in our life. We've been going, doing what we want to do, and we, uh, at this point in time, we say, you know what, God, uh, it's time for me to get my head on straight and to turn back to you. So we're going to identify the areas in our life that we're compromising. Then we're going to repent, and then we're going to put some guardrails up in our life. What I found is it's one thing for me to repent, but I also need accountability. I need to put some things in my life that will help me as I struggle with certain sins in my life. One of the things that I love about Castle Hills is that we have people who care about you, that's willing to pray for you, that will encourage you, that will, that will hold you accountable. And so if, if you're struggling with something, feel free to reach out to one of our pastors, one of our uh, elders, uh, one of our uh, people that have been in the faith for a long time. I know that we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. I want to leave you with this line that, that I think is pretty powerful. It says, sometimes it's the smallest sins that pose the greatest risk in our life. Sometimes it's the smallest sins that pose the greatest risk in our life. You know, church, I, I think what we need to be aware, it's just sometimes the smallest sins that can destroy us. And we want to be a church that's focused on God. We want to let God transform our life, whether it be the big sins or the little sins. And so let's not compromise when it comes to our spiritual life.